welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. version of the confession of Peter, the confession that Peter makes where Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is the Christ, and we heard Luke's version of that. And up until just this year, we didn't get to hear that that Luke passage that talks about the confession of uh, Christ by Peter and Jesus' response to that. We've only had Matthew's version, but we're on a new, we're on a new lectionary schedule now. I think we get more Bible. It's more better, more Bible all the time. And I'm glad that we did come to this passage because in our gospel reading, as I said, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ of God, the Messiah God has promised to Israel. But then Jesus responds to Peter by defining what it means for him uh, to be Messiah and what it means for those who will follow him if he is their Messiah. So I want to just read that passage, a, a brief portion of that passage again. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily And follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So Jesus tells, and I know I'm being redundant, 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 redundant. I'm being redundant because it's an important point. He tells his disciples that he must suffer and be rejected and killed. And then, I'm going to suffer, be rejected and killed. And then he basically invites his disciples to the same path. This has to be the worst marketing strategy of all time. I want, you know, did he focus group this before he rolled out this as his basic statement of discipleship? This doesn't seem to be the kind of thing people wants to hear. Want to hear. Here is the basic truth for us in this passage, though. This is really important, all right? If you want to follow Jesus, then that means you have to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, that means you have to follow Jesus. Here's what I'm talking about. If you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, now I am limited in my scope of illustrations, dog illustrations, Appalachian Trail illustrations, gardening illustrations, C.S. Lewis quotes and Tim Keller quotes. And I know that. I know that. It's just I'm not, a, I'm not a man of a huge variety. I find the things I like and I stick with them. Pizza is always fine with me. I like it. I've tried it. It's good. We need to keep eating it. So here are your basic, here's one of your basic uh, categories of illustrations. If you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, the way of that trail, the way of that trail is marked with little six-inch vertical uh, white painted rectangles on trees, sometimes on posts if you're going through a field, even painted on rocks occasionally. If you want to follow the Appalachian Trail, you have to follow the white blazes. 
Now, sometimes on a particularly dangerous ridge, there may be a side trail that is not marked with white blazes, but with blue blazes. And that's where, you know, I think that's really where the phrase, what in blue blazes are you doing? So it's marked with blue blazes. And if the weather is really bad, you can follow the safe and protected side trail around and then meet up with the Appalachian Trail again past the dangerous bits, all right? If you avoid the dangerous parts, though, if you are on the side trail, if you are on the blue blazes, you aren't following the Appalachian Trail by definition. That's not the Appalachian Trail. You're going to get back on it, but that ain't it. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you can't take the side trail that avoids the danger and hardship. You have to follow the white blazes. Jesus says that the trail before him involves suffering, rejection, death, and ultimately, yes, resurrection victory. In other words, he is pointing even here to his cross. That's the way that is marked out for Jesus, and that is the way he marks out for you and I also. Deny ourselves, take up the cross daily, and follow Jesus. This alone, this is, there's no plan B. This alone is the way of a disciple. This way alone leads to life that conquers death. It leads to the life that is truly life. But why does it have to be this way? Why isn't there, why aren't there blue blazes? Because when we follow Jesus, God makes us his children. And as his children, we become fellow heirs with Jesus. So all, the follow, all that the father, father bestows upon his son, we become partakers of as well through Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, also means the cross. So Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's why it has to be that way. So let's look at this more closely. Jesus says we must deny ourselves. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, he says. Now, most of us think of discipleship. Think about this. Most of us think about discipleship in terms of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. But when Jesus talks about following him, he talks about it in terms of dying. That's what a cross is. It is an instrument of death. Denying yourself means to die to many things. But perhaps those that go unexamined most in our lives are these things. Ready? It means to deny ourselves means to die to self-determination. Let's just let that sink in. It means having it my own way. Doing the things I like to do when I like to do them. A disciple doesn't do that. A disciple dies to that and says, I am your servant, command me this day, Lord. We die to control of our own life. 
and we die to using Jesus to promote our personal agenda. Let me repeat that. We die to using, to deny myself means to die to using, using being the operative word, Jesus to promote my personal agenda. Russell Moore said this past week at the Provincial Assembly, he said, and I think he's used this before, I remember him saying this in other places, he, saw, he said, I saw a bumper sticker on a car that read, if Jesus had a gun, he would be alive today. <laughs> and he said, from the other bumper stickers on the car, it appeared that this person was a professing Christian who desperately needed to be catechized in the fact that Jesus is alive today. <laughs> but also because the assumption behind that bumper sticker, which Russell Moore says could easily just, could have just have easily been used, have been the case if it had been framed in the reverse about, the opinion, about an opinion on guns, is this. Here's the assumption. Jesus is the argument for what I really care about. Jesus is the argument for what I really care about. So to deny myself means that I die to using Jesus to promote what I really care about. My personal agenda may be my craving, and folks, let me tell you, I see this. I, I know, this, is a, uh, this is a basic human need, but when it becomes my agenda for my life, it poisons you and everyone around you, including your church family. So my personal agenda may be my insatiable craving for personal significance. Now, God desperately cares about your personal significance. He calls you an heir, a co-heir with Christ, created in His image. He cares about your significance. He says you are infinitely significant in the way that He says you're infinitely significant, not in the way we want. And if that is your craving, if that's your agenda, it will poison everything. You have to die to that. It may be a political ideology. Whatever the case, to deny ourselves means to die to using God as a means to our ends. Using God as a means to our ends. If I was speaking to a, a, a non-Christian gathering, I think I wouldn't be talking about other things we'd have to die to. I think this is significant for us. Or at least it used to be when I was on Facebook. Mm. To follow Jesus by denying myself means that I have to believe that there is something more than just this life, more than just this world. In other words, you can't live a life of self-denial if you are convinced that this is all it is. Otherwise, you know, you're going to live YOLO. You only live once. YOLO, not deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. YOLO will be your motto. YOLO motto. <laughs> but if, we're, if we truly want to live the life of self-denial, it means that we have to believe that this life is not all there is to reality and existence. And that's what it's talking about in Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to what it says, Hebrews 11 verse 24, talking about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, was grown up, 
refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Hey, look, if it's if you only live once, if this life is all there is, I am definitely the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And you better treat me like that. I want a chariot. I want one of them fancy snake hats. You know, I want all that stuff. I want to learn how to do that. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated. He's denying himself to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ. Listen, he considered to be to bear the scorn and scoffing that Christ born. He considered to bear he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, which in its day was the most wealthy kingdom anybody ever heard of. For he, this is how he did it. How did he deny himself? For he was looking to the reward. This life is not all there is. You can't deny yourself just for the sake of asceticism, just to deny yourself. You, can't, you, you do it because self-denial leads to a greater reward than the momentary pleasure of immediate gratification. We consider the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures of this world because we are looking to us for a city whose foundations are laid by God, not by the hands of man. We're looking forward to a reward. Jim Elliott, missionary and martyr, said it this way. You've heard it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's how he practiced self-denial. Jesus said we must take up the cross daily. Jesus clearly says what the cross meant for him. For him, he said, it meant that he must suffer many things, be rejected and killed. And that is what it means for us to take up the cross daily as well as his followers. Jesus said he must suffer many things. Therefore, to follow Jesus means that God will use the school of suffering in our lives to make us holy, to make us like Jesus. We all know that forging iron requires heating it and a furnace to burn off the impurities. But what you might not know is that after it is heated in a furnace, the iron is taken out and is hammered on an anvil to knock off the impurities, the slag that still clings to its surface. God hammers those he loves on the anvil of suffering to purify us and to make us into something useful and beautiful and eternal. We'll all end up on the anvil of God's love. Because at some point, God will let the sufferings of Christ overflow into your life, 2 Corinthians 1.5, to make you like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, your life, my life, will... Yes, I know how I say that. It's two syllables, I'm sorry. 
our life will have a cross in it, probably many crosses. Suffering is as inevitable for us as Calvary was for Jesus. It is the cancer diagnosis, the loss of a child, long-term unemployment, the breakdown of a marriage, the imprisonment of a loved one, the experience of grave injustice, being rejected by your family because of Jesus, being rejected by your friends because of Jesus, you and I will share in the cross of Christ. There is no other way for a disciple. 1 Peter 4 says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, since Jesus suffered in the flesh, here's what Peter says we should do. Arm yourselves. Why do we have to? It sounds like, sounds like I've got to take up arms, like to go into a battle or to protect myself. That's right. You need to know you're going into a battle. You need to have your mind protected. Otherwise, you're, you're, it will happen to you, and you're going to say, something's terribly wrong. None of this is true. I've made a grave mistake. Where are the blue blazes? Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh... 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Beloved, do not, jumping down to verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. That's exactly how I, I act. Every time it happens, it's like, this is strange. <laughs> this is weird. This is unusual. Why is this happening to me? It's broke. My Christianity is broken. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. A cross is coming into your life. Rejoice that as, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, let me inform you about what this suffering can look like. This isn't exhaustive, but I, as I was praying about these scriptures and as I was meditating on these scriptures this week, I came to think if our sufferings are the suffering, we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's, that's an unavoidable statement in scripture. The sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives. 2 Corinthians 1.5, uh, 1 Peter 4.1 those sufferings will come into my life, then that means, listen, sometimes ours is the suffering of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that suffering? Where God encourages us and strengthens us even while we are suffering. We know He is there. The suffering is grievous, but we are not alone. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 22, verses 41 through 43. This is the garden, okay, Gethsemane. And he withdrew from his disciples, from them, about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That sounds like discipleship. And then it says this, And there appeared to Jesus, to him, an angel from heaven strengthening him. In his suffering, God sent an angel a messenger of grace to strengthen him in that hour of suffering in the garden. 
And some of us have experienced that. You may be going through that right now. But sometimes, dear Christians, and we need to, please listen, we need to be prepared for this. Ours is the suffering of Jesus on Golgotha. Suffering in desolation and abandonment and the sense of God's absence. Not that, oh, I've just, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I know this is the sufferings of Christ in my life, and I, oh, I'm feeling that blessing. I feel that blessing. Sometimes it's that way. Sometimes it's the cross on Golgotha. And when the sixth hour, this is Mark 15, verse 33, following. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? If the cross comes into my life, sometimes it will look just like that. Because even then, God is at work hammering us on the anvil of his love and to the image of his son. Yes, in Gethsemane, but also on Golgotha. But suffering is not a good. It is not an end in itself. Suffering for suffering's sake is evil. That sounds, in fact, more like hell than it does like discipleship. And suffering certainly is not the end of the story for Jesus. The cross is not the last word. It's not even in his prediction of his, his passion. And on the third day, be raised. The cross is not the last word. Resurrection is the end of the story. Glory is the end of the story. Jesus came into this world as the spotless, holy, sinless Son of God. But listen to what Hebrews 2.10 says. Hebrews chapter 2, verse... I read the whole Bible for this sermon. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that He, Jesus, for whom... Or excuse me, that, that He, this is the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing son, many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Let me read that again. For it is fitting that He, through for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Not perfect in the sense of, of correcting imperfection, perfect in the sense of making complete through experience. God, here it is, suffering for suffering's sake is not, the, is not a good. Through suffering, God is bringing, are you ready? Many sons and daughters to glory. He is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. One writer says, Christ came to blaze the trail so that we might follow him on to glory. But the trail is marked with suffering, with tears, with rejection, and it ultimately leads to the cross. Anyone who follows Jesus will end up where he ended up, outside Jerusalem, on a hill shaped like a skull. He is not just leading us to heaven, though. He is leading us to glory. There is glory at the end of the Christian life. Jesus came from heaven so we might follow him in suffering and like him be made complete 
perfect teleoi, something like that, through suffering. That explains so much of what happens to us. What is God doing in your life and in mine? He is putting us through the curriculum of grace in the school of suffering. School starts the moment we trust Christ and ends the day we die. How will we ever pass the test and win the degree? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. He is the valedictorian of the class. He never failed a test. He blazed the trail through the school of suffering that we might follow in his path. He is leading us to glory one step at a time. God allows you to be hammered on the anvil of suffering and in his love to glorify you. Now, there is personal application, obviously, for us as disciples, and there's also an application of this for us as a church. In order to address the personal application very precisely, I want to share with you what I would never usually do. Now, I'm going to be, this requires a level of transparency, and if you're the kind of person that uses the pastor's vulnerability and transparency to hurt them, you're evil and you need to leave. I know those people. I'm going to be very transparent with you. This is my prayer. And by the way, I'm I'm incredible. You know, you should be this way too. I mean, just be dead honest with God in prayer because he already knows. I mean, it's not like you're going to fool him. Ooh, I had no idea, Ben. You tricked me. Never heard that from the Lord. So this is from my journal on June 18th, 2019. What is between me and revival? In other words, what stands between me and revival? My passions. My passions are diffused and diluted between worldly comfort, between worldly comfort and the things of God. I am afraid of asking for greater passion for and devotion to God because he seems to use suffering and hardship in my life to affect greater devotion to him. And I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go on adventures where there are real dangers and loss and wounds. I want to stay in my hobbit hole and tend my little garden. So I really don't desire God. I desire God as an accoutrement, not as the white hot passion of my life. And if that is the case, I will not get God at all. So I am afraid of the way of the cross. I don't really believe it's the way of life, and peace. Lord, would you please change my heart? What stands between you and revival? Maybe you need to ask that question too. This applies to us as a church as well. Specifically, it applies, I mean, it, it applies to us as Christ's church. The only, please, this is critical, critical, critical. The only way we can offer Jesus is to offer him with the cross. I know other people are trying different methods, but we can't do that. Because that's not Christianity. That's not discipleship. You can gather a crowd if you don't preach the cross. But you cannot make disciples if you don't preach the cross. And we weren't commanded, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, 
go and draw a crowd. No, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You can draw a crowd if you don't preach the cross, but you cannot make disciples if you don't preach the cross. If we try to grow a church or lead a church with a mixture of appeal to the flesh, carnal appeal, a mixture of carnal appeal, a mixture of carnal appeal and devotion to Jesus, we will not be making disciples. You can't bring people to Jesus and His church by appealing to their flesh and then later on say, hey, by the way, take up your cross. You can't walk by the flesh and walk by the Spirit at the same time. So here, in conclusion, is our unwavering manifesto as a church. Our message is the cross. Our method is the cross. Our boasting is the cross. Our victory is the cross. Our glory is the cross. And through the cross, we become partakers of Christ's resurrection triumph. I want to know Christ. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. In the name of the Father and of the Son. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.